Greetings, friends and brethren in the Lord. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly, exceedingly great joy. Well, I hope you had a joyous 4th of July celebration. It is one of my favorite holidays on the calendar. I love red, blue, and white. I guess it's the patriotic in me. I love the flag. I love all the patriotic songs. I love fireworks. I love watching PBS, the Capitol Fourth, where people are singing patriotic songs and you see our United States Capitol in the background and people waving flags. It just doesn't get better than Fourth of July. It's just one of those extremely American holidays. I love it. And actually, John Adams said it was one of the holiest of holidays. How about that? Well, today we are continuing a series that I have titled Slave or Free. Today is part four. Father, I thank you for this listening audience, and I thank you for imparting to them truth, the truth of your word, Father, not my truth, not my thoughts or ideas, but your word, which is the truth. Father, I thank you that the word says that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So, Lord, these things I'm about to share, I pray, Father, that those listening will receive this truth deep into their very being, into their heart, and into their spirit. In Jesus' name. There is a book in the Bible. I don't think I've ever heard it preached. I don't think I've ever heard it taught. I'm pretty sure I have not. It's a very small book in the Bible. It's one chapter, literally one page. The Apostle Paul wrote this book, and it's called the book of Philemon. Now, Philemon, this small book, offers indisputable evidence that Christ transforms people, heals old grievances, and overcomes disparities in social and economic status. The story actually begins in the book of Acts with Paul's arrival in Ephesus. His work there over a period of more than two years produced spectacular results so that all who dwelt in Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Among those who responded to the gospel was Philemon, a wealthy man from Coloss, possibly a merchant traveling on business to Ephesus. Philemon took his new faith back with him to Coloss, where he founded or at least hosted a church in his home. In fact, it was perhaps this same church community to whom Paul's letter to the Colossians was written. Like most wealthy citizens of the Roman world, Philemon owned slaves. Scholars estimate that up to half of the population in parts of the Roman Empire lived in some form of servitude. One of Philemon's slaves, Onesimus, ran away. Years later, and nearly 1,000 miles away in the city of Rome, Onesimus happened upon Paul, 
the very man who had led his former master to Christ. After Osnismus also turned to Christ and began growing in the faith, Paul came to regard him as, quote, my son, whom I have begotten while in my chains. But now Paul faced a dilemma. Should he keep Onesimus with him? That's what Paul wanted to do. But by law, he was required to send the fugitive slave back to his master or turn him over to authorities. Yet what would happen to this new believer, so cherished by Paul, that he called him, quote, my own heart? As Nismus could be sold, punished, or even killed, could Paul live with himself, knowing that he had led his friend to bondage and destruction? The apostle resolved to send Onesimus back to Philemon, but not without protection. He assigned an associate named Tychius to escort the slave back to Coloss and to transport three documents, letters to the churches in Coloss and Laodicea and a personal message to Philemon. Paul leaned heavily on his history with Philemon in order to persuade him to act with mercy. He counted on the master to demonstrate spiritual maturity by forgiving the slave and accepting him as a brother in Christ. No doubt Philemon's standing in the Christian community at Coloss would add further leverage as people would be closely watching his response. Paul wrote this letter from prison, likely in Rome, where he gained a deep understanding of what it is to yearn for freedom. This letter was probably composed in the late 50s or early 60s A.D. Now, it's a short book. I'm going to read the scriptures to you. I want you to listen very carefully to what Paul is saying, because this is God's word. He's laying a foundation for us to understand how do we handle slaves? How do we handle people who have been made a slave or have become a slave? So I want you to listen very carefully to what Paul's saying. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is appealing to his friend Philemon, This is a man he led to Jesus Christ, and he calls him his beloved friend. And he goes on, starting with verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. 
For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul says a mouthful here. And he says in verse 8, he says, I, you know, I could, I could get bold and I could command you to do what's right. But he's softening it up and he says, but for love's sake, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I would rather appeal to you being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm appealing to you for my son And he's explaining how Onesimus, who was Philemon's slave, has been very profitable to Paul, has served Paul, has cared for Paul. And Paul was in a very difficult place. He had to make a decision. I mean, his flesh wanted to keep Onesimus, but 
he knew that he had to send him back. That was the right thing to do. It was the godly thing to do. And so he tells Philemon that he wants him to receive him, not as a slave, but as a brother, a beloved brother. And he wants him to receive him in the flesh and in the Lord. So Onesimus, we don't know. We don't know the rest of the story. (laughs) Uh, We just don't know the rest of the story. We don't know if um, Philemon kept him as a slave or if he greeted him as a brother in the Lord and took good care of him. That we don't know. But Paul really is appealing to the spirit of Philemon, to the Christ in him. Because he says, if you count me, Paul, as a partner, receive him as you would me. Now, that tells us right there, this man had been a slave. And slaves were not on the same obviously on the same level. But see, when you receive Christ, everything becomes equal. And Paul says, receive him as you would receive me. In other words, the same love and the same uh, excitement and as much as you would cherish my coming to you, that's how I want you to treat Onesimus. And then Paul, but Paul takes it a step further, you see. And this really, really speaks to the spirit of the Lord in Paul. He says, look, if he, if he owes you anything, if he's wronged you, put it on my account. I'll pay. I'll pay for whatever needs to be paid. I'll take care of it. He, he doesn't have to worry. I will take care of it. And Paul even says, let me have the joy from you. Refresh my heart in the Lord. And I like how Paul closes this. I mean, he's, he's you know, I think it's just, uh, I think, I don't know that Paul was a lawyer, but what a very strong way to close this. He says, I have confidence Philemon, I have confidence in your obedience. In other words, I'm confident that you're going to obey the ways of the Lord. It's not about obeying Paul. It's about obeying the spirit of the Lord. Paul says, I have confidence in your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than what I say. Wow. So Paul has confidence and he's trying to encourage Philemon and tell him, look, I, I, I know you. I know the kind of Christian you are. I know that your word is your bond, and you're going to be more than obedient to the Lord. You're going to go beyond that. You're going to surpass it. And then Paul says, I trust that your prayers for me, Paul, are going to be granted. So, hey, I might be in prison at the moment, but prepare a guest room for me. I think this is one of the most beautiful books in the Bible. 
I love it. I really do. I'm going to share with you the story of two people. These are people that you probably heard of them. They're African-American folks who have really deposited great value in our society. They've led special lives and their contributions should never go unremembered. The first one is Harriet Tubman. Now, Harriet Tubman was born into slavery on a large plantation in Maryland. And she was born as Araminta Harriet Ross, better known as Harriet. She became best known of all the conductors on the Underground Railroad, a vast network of secret routes and safe houses used by the 19th century American slaves to escape freedom in the North. After making her own escape, Tubman returned on 19 separate missions to lead more than 300 slaves to freedom. She never lost a passenger, and her tireless work earned her the nickname Moses. Little was known about Tubman's family origins, except that one of her grandmothers arrived in the United States on a slave ship from Africa. Tubman was one of nine children born to her parents, and during her childhood, three of her sisters were sold and permanently separated from the family. When Harriet's mother received word that their owner was negotiating the sale of her youngest son, she hid the boy for a month and threatened to split the head of any man who came to take him. The master backed off in what was almost certainly a pivotal moment in Harriet's young life. She witnessed the power of resistance. At age five, Harriet was hired out to another family to care for a white baby. She was beaten if the child cried. And Harriet later recalled a day when she was whipped five times before breakfast. Yet Tubman refused to allow herself to be beaten into absolute submission. She layered her clothing to help soften the blows, ran away for days at a time, and even at times fought back. At age 12, she refused to restrain a slave attempting to escape. And when an overseer heaved a weight at the young man, Tubman was struck instead. She suffered a head injury that afflicted her with seizures, severe headaches, and narcoleptic episodes for the rest of her life. She also experienced visions that she interpreted as religious experiences. In 1849, Harriet Tubman escaped from slavery with her brothers Ben and Henry, but they turned back after an advertisement about rewards for their capture gave her brothers second thoughts. When Harriet escaped again, this time leaving her brothers behind, she made her way safely to Philadelphia. Later, during her years as a conductor on the Underground Railroad, Tubman demanded strict obedience from her followers because a fugitive who returned to his master would likely be forced to reveal information that would compromise her mission. Though she was never forced to pull the trigger, 
Tubman would hold a revolver to the head of any reluctant escapees and ask them to reconsider. Harriet became a friend of many leading abolitionists and their sympathizers, including Frederick Douglass and John Brown. Tubman's ultimate advocate was the one in whom she held supreme confidence. I always told God, she said, I'm going to, I'm going to hold steady on, on you and you got to see me through. Tubman listened carefully to God's voice dur- her, during her missions, following wherever he led her. I can't die but once became her motto. And she put all concern for her own protection in the hands of her deliverer. During the Civil War, Harriet continued her good works as a nurse, laundress, and spy for Union forces. Yet, despite numerous honors, Harriet lived much of her later life in poverty. Not until 30 years after the war was she granted a government pension in recognition of her work for the Federal Army. It was said of Harriet that a more ordinary specimen of humanity could hardly be found among the most unfortunate-looking farmhands of the South. Nonetheless, this humble woman's bright legacy lives on today as a beacon of hope for all who yearn to break free from a society at odds with God's purposes. What a brave, brave lady. This man, I'm sure you're familiar with, Booker T. Washington. Booker Taliaferro Washington was nine years old when the Civil War came to a close, ending slavery in the United States. Of this pivotal moment in history, Washington later recalled, Some man who seemed to be a stranger, a United States officer, I presume, made a little speech and then then read a long paper, the Emancipation Proclamation, I think. After the reading, we were told that we were all free and could go when and where we pleased. My mother, who was standing by my side, leaned over and kissed her children while tears of joy ran down her cheeks. She explained to us what it all meant, that this was the day for which she had been so long praying, but fearing that she would never live to see. For the rest of his life, Washington fought to secure and expand this newfound freedom for African Americans. Washington was born into bondage, the son of a slave and a white planter whom his mother refused to identify. Raised on a tobacco farm in southwestern Virginia, he lived in a log cabin that also served as the plantation's kitchen. The cabin had no windows, only rough openings that let in both light and the weather. Like other slaves, Washington wanted to learn, but it was illegal for him to attend school. After the Civil War, Washington worked in salt furnaces and coal mines for several years, but eventually made his way 500 miles east to a school that had been established for the purpose of educating freed slaves. In 1881, the energetic 25-year-old became the first teacher and administrator 
at the Tuskegee Institute, a newly established teacher's college and agricultural research center in Alabama. Washington presided over the school for the rest of his life, where he recruited many other leading African-American academics to its ranks, including the brilliant agriculturalist George Washington Carver. Washington believed that the best way for African-Americans to secure equal rights was through demonstrating industry, thrift, intelligence, and property. While he secretly contributed to causes that fought against legal segregation and disenfranchisement of blacks, in his public life he tended to operate within the social constraints of his era. This strategy proved effective in building relationships with many white entrepreneurs, educators, politicians, publishers, philanthropists, and ministers. But Washington's methods also garnered criticism from fellow black intellectuals such as W.E.B. Dubois, who called Washington the great accommodator. Washington responded by arguing that confrontation could lead to disaster for the black minority. Working with supportive whites was, in the long run, the only way to overcome racism. The end of the Civil War had brought freedom to four million people who now faced new decisions and new challenges. To Washington, the best way to help this generation succeed was by looking forward rather than dwelling on the past. He dedicated his life to teaching others both the skills they needed to thrive in their present society and the attitude they needed to create a better one. The only thing worth living for is the lifting up of our fellow men, said Washington. And he also said we should not let our grievances overshadow our opportunities. Washington's methods were practical, but his desire to prevent hostility was also rooted in his faith. He followed a God who forgives, who loves peace, and who heals past wrongs. In the sight of God, there is no color line, Washington declared, and we want to cultivate a spirit that will make us forget that there is such a line anyway. Well, I took these two stories from my modern Bible. And I hope that you enjoyed these stories because for me, they encourage me, they stimulate me. And I love to read about people who have done great things in the midst of such difficulty and so many adverse situations. Both Harriet and Booker T overcame so much adversity by being African-American, but they succeeded in doing what God had called them to do. Well, we will conclude next week with Slaver Free Part 5. This is Don Noble. You can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. I hope you were encouraged as I was. I look forward to talking with you again. Shalom, shalom. Peace be with you.